Hey guys, this is the Real Estate Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Matt Teifke. Real quick before we dive in, if you don't mind, please make sure to subscribe to our channel. We want to get the message out that real estate can be for everybody. We want to share the entrepreneurship that we're learning along our journey. So before we dive into the episode, please make sure you share with your friends, and we want to continue to add value. So thank you guys, and let's dive right into the episode. What it could be. And as I was talking about the digital assets earlier in the conversation here, that's exactly what blockchain is about to explode on the marketplace um, with taking these types of traditional assets, tokenizing them, and then making them more available to a whole new class of investors in a, in a different means and also to potentially create, and this is where the DeFi aspect comes in, a different way of financing those assets. Hey guys, welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. It's Matt Teifke here. We're missing my co-host, Alex Kaufman. He's in Corpus Christi, Texas, helping open the other branch of our brokerage. Today, we have a very special guest. I want to give a warm welcome to the one and only Barry Finkelstein. Barry is the head of the North American Development for Algorand, uh, been around the business for a long time, uh, trading desk, global markets, 30 years in Wall Street. Uh, Algorand is one of the top blockchains for financial assets. Uh, personally, I've been studying it a lot. I own some Algorand. Uh, I love seeing that daily interest on Algo. And uh, Barry, if you don't mind, uh, we'd love to get to know you, uh, dive a little bit into your background, and just talk a little bit about Algorand. If that's cool with you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, look, I'm looking forward to it uh, and happy to share everything and anything I can uh, that won't get me in trouble with uh, the missus or uh, the government. So short of that, I'm pretty much an open book. So fire away any and all questions, Matt, and I'll do my very best to uh, be as truthful with the answers. I love it, man. Well, uh, I've watched a few of your podcasts and it's really cool to uh, kind of understand more and more about Algorand. I have some personal questions that I'll ask you about the company a little later, but I think what would be great is to understand a little bit about your background and then what got you thinking about uh, blockchain and how did you get involved in this space and uh, let's go from there if that's cool. Yeah, no, no worries. Happy to do it. Unfortunately, it's going to take a little bit of having to go back closer to the uh, cradle than it is to the grave here in order to understand that. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll kill the, the punchline, if you will, by telling you that uh, the first 35 years of my professional career have absolutely nothing to do with the last two years of my professional career. And the last two years are the part which is where you uh, come to know me through blockchain and uh, all the, the goodies that are attached to that, like cryptocurrency and, and so forth. But going back to sort of the cradle, if you will, uh, I was a born and bred New Yorker uh, and went off to the University of Michigan to study computer science, actually, which lasted uh, a grand total of one semester and realizing that when I finished uh, uh, top three on the first test of my first Pascal exam, and that was with a 36 out of 100, this was not something that I or anyone else in the class was very good at. So I decided I would go a different route, decided that finance and economics was probably better suited for me. And uh, I ultimately didn't graduate from the University of Michigan. I actually graduated from Claremont McKenna College. Uh, home of Henry Kravitz, George Roberts, to name a few. Uh, and uh, by hook or by crook, I ended up uh, meeting a group of people that led me back to Wall Street, 
and ended up with a job uh, working in the back office of Merrill Lynch for the summer in 1985-6 uh, area. And that led to uh, doing a reasonable job over that summer, meeting a few people on the front office side, and uh, they offered me a full-time position. So I graduated from college and uh, turned down a bunch of uh, things out on the West Coast and flew back and started my career on the street uh, in the mid-80s as an interest rate swap option options trader. And from that, uh, the rest of my career grew by, by hook or by crook. Uh, what's interesting about it, the reason I go that far back is because it seems nomenclature now to just use the word swaps and swap options and all. But back in 1986, nobody could tell you what those were. If you gave them the word, if you gave them SWAP, they couldn't have come up with swaps. Uh, that's how new it was. I mean, to give you an idea at the time, Merrill Lynch had two swap options on their books and uh, like 25 actual interest rate swaps. You know, that's measured in millions and millions now uh, across uh, just Merrill Lynch, let alone <laughs> every other firm on the street. That's how, how new it was and how nascent it was. So, uh, it's always been my background to be involved in things that were not down the middle of the fairway. It's always been something that was sort of new and differentiating and to use a word that went through a very bad period of time, very derivative in, in nature, if you will. And so very many of the different uh, highly structured products that unfortunately tend to get a bit of a bad press at times, uh, I was very much involved in their creation uh, and uh, their implementation throughout my, my time working both at Merrill Lynch and then at, at UBS. And I did 18 uh, plus years at Merrill and 12 plus years at UBS uh, before I then partnered in with uh, a group that I had banked at UBS and uh, we provided capital to sports, music and entertainment concerns. I, I ultimately left that partnership and the company uh, no longer is in operation, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but it goes back to this idea that there's always within my past the idea of how do I take this pen and turn it into this paperclip? There must be a way to do that so that the combined effort is worth more than the parts and more appealing to others. And so it was, it's that kind of, I don't know, just intellectual stimulation that led me ultimately to blockchain and why is that well because some of my closest and dearest compatriots clients colleagues and old-time friends uh, had been pushing me for years on this concept of blockchain and bitcoin and i honestly i was this guy wake me when it means something i could could have cared less there's lots of talks about it in the halls of ubs you know back in uh the 2000 and 15 forward time frame, but again, I just didn't have time to think or worry about it or care about it. And when I ultimately left that partnership, I mentioned to you, the same folks continued to talk to me about it and they were big adopters of the whole crypto space and blockchain in general. And they continued to push me on and said, hey, there's no way you can go into retirement. You're, you're too young in spirit, you're too questioning and you're, you're never going to sit there and, and be idle. You're always trying to, you know, uh, as I said, turn the pen into the clip. So uh, this one group was very interested with this one uh, operating protocol, Algorand. Uh, they had uh, been early adopters of it and investors within it. And they said, hey, we think with your background and given the way that this uh, protocol works and what it's uh, 
built for, it would really be a great fit, not only for them to have you, but for you and your level of just intellectual curiosity to be part of this. So I did start looking into it and thinking about it, wanting to understand it. So I started looking at blockchain and trying to get a handle on it. And believe me, for the first long time, it was still like, I don't get it. I don't see what the, the big uh, wow factor is here. I get it that people are making a lot of money on Bitcoin, but I felt like you could just go and put your money on red uh, as well. Uh, and I'm not sure I've changed that opinion yet either, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, one thing led to another. And as I continued to, to, to do my homework on it, something very interesting happened. I was refinancing my mortgage and I had just finished refinancing my mortgage like six months prior. And it really, to excuse the language, peed me off that I was once again having to pay for a title search yeah. on it. And I thought, this is really ridiculous. I mean, nothing's changed in the last six months. How is it possible that I have to do this? And then I started thinking about what I've been hearing about what blockchain claimed to be as this immutable ledger that was pure in thought, you know, from time zero to time zero plus N. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that blockchain's supposed to eliminate and make work. Now I got to get it. Now I see where it could have some applicability. Here's a real world case where I thought it made sense to me. I also then started thinking about the world of large financial assets. And I started thinking about two things. One was, you know, my whole life, I'd built things that inevitably, one of the issues you had was the credit risk associated with them and the time to settlement. And I started thinking, huh, and some of the stuff I'm reading about with Algorand in particular around atomic swaps and what Silvio Macaulay had built was accurate and true, then theoretically, you should be able to eliminate that time to settlement. And if you can eliminate that time to settlement, i.e. create the purest form of delivery versus payment, then by definition, you've eliminated any kind of credit risk from that perspective. If you eliminate credit risk, then you can gratefully, gratefully uh, decrease the level of risk-based capital you have to hold against something. And if you reduce your level of risk-based capital, then you, by definition, increase your ultimate return on capital. So that got me really interested and that got me into conversations with uh, the CEO of Algorand. One thing led to another. I was meant to, become on, to come on as an advisor to the company that ultimately morphed very quickly into becoming an independent uh, consultant to the company, which after a six month stint turned into me taking on the role of head of North American business development uh, on a full-time basis. So there's my little history yeah. soliloquy. I hope that was uh, as clear as it could be. And I'm, again, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have there. Yeah, that's great, man. I appreciate you sharing. Uh... It's cool to be, I, I feel like I'm similar. I'm always trying to think ahead and think how to be different and unique and, you know, looking at new opportunities. Um, I'm really kind of fascinated with your background and where you're at today. Uh, and we can talk more about Algorand, obviously, but I'm curious what you think that they're saying at your old companies and what people think about it. Do they still feel the same way that you used to? Um, or are they more opening up to this? And, and just to give a quick little tidbit, my perception of Algorand is like new and improved version of Ethereum, cheaper, faster, quicker, all, all those things. Um, and we'll dive into that. But if you can answer both of those, like what's the perception of people in your old world? Cause this is totally different, right? It's, is this 
what you're doing still frowned upon? Or are they more open-minded at this point? Yeah. So it's a, it's a very good question and it deserves a couple of different ways of answering it. First, it's not nearly the same as when I sat, you know, in those same seats, if you will. And why is that? Well, just by uh, the nature of the world we live in now, there's been such an explosion uh, in the cryptocurrency side of the equation. And let me make sure that everyone knows my feelings. Cryptocurrency is not blockchain. Blockchain is not cryptocurrency. Blockchain is a technology upon which different applications can be built. Cryptocurrency is a form of that kind of an application that utilizes blockchain uh, for its implementation. So that, to me, that's very important. Yeah, so it is. Yeah, it you, is. Can be, you can be someone who's very knowledgeable in cryptocurrency and have absolutely no knowledge about blockchain. And you can be someone who's a blockchain technician or works for a blockchain company and could care less or know anything about cryptocurrency, which is not so dissimilar to myself. I, I'm happy to share with everyone. I own cryptocurrency. It's called the algo. It's the only thing I own. I've never owned anything else beyond that. It doesn't make me right or wrong in any way. I'm not um, espousing it. It's just that I'm not a crypto guy. Per se. However, it's so much in the vernacular uh, and in the narrative of everybody speak at this point that the same people who sit in the same kind of seats that I used to sit in uh, in my time in Wall Street are all incredibly knowledgeable now in at least the crypto space, if not the blockchain space. And often that is the case because you know we're traders at heart, or you know money guys, at least we think we're good traders at heart, you know, or gamblers. And there's a lot of that, right? So. Um, you know, whether somebody's long algo or long soul or long, you know, Dogecoin or Bitcoin or Ether, you know, it's in their, their common speak. When I left the street uh, now six years ago, five years ago, five years ago, it still wasn't in everybody's speak. It was going on, but it was actually going on more from the blockchain, what the heck is this thing form. So there's that side. So it's def it's definitely much more um, discussed, talked about, just like people would talk about whether or not you're going to buy high yield bonds versus anything else uh, in their personal accounts. Anyway, that is. Now you have to look at it from the enterprise level. The entities that I said in were, you know, large global financial institutions. And if you think of the banks in particular, right, they approach blockchain from two different spots, the services side and the product side. For the first five years, it was really looking and thinking about it from the services side. What is this new technology that we're hearing about? People are you know, speaking about that it could really, as I said to you before, help with settlements, increase and uh, uh, improve payments, speed, cost, uh, interaction, and all, uh, improve that whole efficiency around it. And they thought about it from two different perspectives. Perspective one was, hmm, how do we take advantage of this thing and really use this technology to help us uh, improve what our offering is to our normal client base? And two, if this thing is really what they say it is, if you take it to its nth degree, people don't need us anymore, right? I, I, every transaction can happen seamlessly without any middleman, including us. We better really figure this thing out and figure out how we can be part of it as opposed to getting run over by it. Yeah. And so that on the services side continued, started and continues to this day on how to best utilize it and take advantage of it. And, and, I, and I'll take, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you want to ask? Something? Well, I was just, you know, just on that note, I was just going to say like, and it, it doesn't close. Like 
you know, the bank, it, that's one of the things I've been thinking about more and more is like, cause on the real estate side, title companies are closed on the weekend. You can't do, you know, wires after 3 PM. These things, these problems don't exist with blockchain. And, and that is fascinating to me. Yeah. The, the problem you have on the blockchain side is when do we say it's the end of the day? And that's yeah. still a point of, of debate from, from everybody's perspective, from marking books to market and so forth. But just continuing on with what I was saying about, you know, so there's that service side of the financial banking industry, if you will, which was historically where blockchain thought came from. Then, and what's happened over really the better part of the last 18 to 24 months is the product side. Two things in particular. One, this great retail um, acceptance, for lack of a better term, of cryptocurrency and wanting to be part of this new sexy thing that, you know, everybody who's got a, a hoodie on seems to suddenly be a millionaire without knowing about it, um, knowing what it is. And people want in, right? You, if, you, if you find out that your neighbor's making a fortune out of something, you invariably want to understand what that is. That's the same thing with real estate, too. If you find out a guy's making a lot of money by investing in, uh, you know, uh, co-op housing in a portion of New York City, you want to, you want to know if you can get in on the next fund. Right. So there is a little bit of that pipe piper following the the trend, if you will. And so the when their clientele starts asking for that, they have to figure out what they can create on the product side to start offering. And you're seeing that now. The big financial institutions are not just worrying about blockchain on the services side. They're now starting to think, how do we create product for our clients? In addition, can we do something with blockchain that improves the products that we've historically had? offered our institutional retail clients. And that's where you're now starting to see, and you're going to see with some great ferocity, I believe, over the next 12 months, and then going crazy beyond that, this concept of digital assets, uh, taking traditional assets and tokenizing them or digitizing them, whichever terminology you want to use, and bringing them on chain. Uh, and that, again, my personal belief, will become a way of the future uh, as time goes on. And then the last piece of it is, look, the big trading houses, uh, if there's one thing that they love, it's volatility. Because volatility means gaps. Gaps means money to be made. And so there's a real good correlation between the fact that some of the bigger name houses that you, know, you could quote chapter and verse uh, are all suddenly very, very interested in ETFs uh, for different uh, cryptos and the cryptos themselves because there's huge volatility swings. I mean, you can sit there and trade the S&P all day long and it's a massive move if it goes by 1%. Well, right. Jesus, I mean, pick your favorite cryptocurrency. It was by 20% every day and a half, if not every hour. Yeah. Well, there's opportunity there for guys to make some money in the middle. And so that's why the big houses are very much involved. So long way of saying, yeah, there's nobody sitting there going like it's, not something to be talked about, quite the opposite. I think it's very much on the top of everybody's uh, mind now and trying to figure out how to make money from it, take advantage of it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I know we kind of just jumped in, but, uh, um, and you'll touch on this, I'm sure as well, but Algorand created by Silvio from MIT with some students, they saw a more efficient way and some theories that they could test out, built this. And it's a blockchain in which other applications can be built on top of and algo is, would you call that the cryptocurrency or that's the, the value that you can get by owning Algorand? Um, if you could touch on that, 
And then also I'm very curious about the governance aspect, which I know uh, ends today or sometime soon, and you can stake your uh, algo. And I'm kind of curious what happens on the back end of that. I know that there's a return that you get uh, for putting your algo there for three month period. Uh, but then there's like a, a really good return. Uh, maybe you can touch on some of those things. Yeah. And I'm going to touch lightly on some of that last stuff you said, because that's really the, um, the bailiwick of the foundation, the Algorand Foundation, who handles all of the uh, logistics around the algo itself. And the algo is the native currency of uh, the Al of Algorand blockchain. So just like there's ethers for Ethereum and souls for Solana and, and, and the like. Uh, so that's the first thing to understand. It is just a pure currency token, uh, okay. if you will, from that perspective. And so when you own the algo, you own the currency of Algorand blockchain. You don't own Algorand per se. Right. Uh, it's not an equity stake in Algorand from that perspective. It's like saying you own, uh, Israeli shekels, you own, you don't own a piece of Israel, you own a, their currency right. um, from that perspective. So uh, there's that to know. You, you asked a bit about um, Silvio and, and so forth, and you touched before on it. It's a, it's a newer, bigger, better version of, uh, of Ethereum. And I, and I think that's pretty spot on. Uh, it's kind of blockchain 2.0, closer to 3.0 at, at this point where Ethereum is kind of still, you know, blockchain 1.0, I would argue. So I, again, I try to go very carefully and, and tread lightly and say anything negative about any other protocol because they all have their, their backers and their supporters. What I can do is make comparisons, however. And you're right, when Silvio and his team, and understand Silvio is, you know, the he's literally the father of modern day cryptography. And, you know, he's the... Uh, the brain behind zero knowledge proofs and uh and the like and has won turing awards for it uh for those who don't know that's the the nobel prize of computer science uh and almost every blockchain from bitcoin on somewhere in their dna is cryptographic proofs that they have silvio to thank for and in fact when bitcoin came to be and then subsequently ethereum it was really technology catching up with Silvio's brain. These are all things that he had thought of beforehand. Mm -hmm. And when it showed up, and that's why a lot of people think that he is Satoshi. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, he is not, <laughs> but, uh, but it is often thought of that he might be. And if he is, he's doing a great job of hiding it. Uh, and uh, so but when he did see him, he was, he was really impressed by them, but he was also fundamentally and intellectually could not accept that there was the claim that you could not have scalability, security, and decentralization all occurring at the same time, the infamous trilemma. And that's what he set out to disprove. And with a DARPA grant in hand, he and his students started to do that. And as they started to figure it out and write a white paper around it and run computer modeling around it, not only did they figure out that they were right, but that they could do it and do it incredibly efficiently and all the great things about, and again, I can use, give you a few metrics that just kind of show you. So uh, roughly speaking, Ethereum can handle circa 15 transactions per second, maybe. Uh, Algorand can handle 1,200 transactions per second, soon to be 10,000, and soon thereafter, 45,000. You can propagate a block on Ethereum in 
roughly 15 minutes though for soundness and comfort that it's completely uh, valid. Uh, it's probably closer to a half an hour to, to 60 minutes. Where on Algorand, it takes less than four and a half seconds, soon to be less than two and a half seconds. There's instant finality on Algorand. Algorand can't fork. Algorand's never had a minute of downtime. Uh, Algorand is incredibly cheap to run. It's 0 0.001 algos. So right now that's 0 0.0017 to uh, do any transaction. Compare that with something like Ethereum where simply sending $10 across would cost you $100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it obviously doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's done because we use what's called proof of stake versus proof of work, and it's pure proof of stake. And I'm happy to go into the technicalities around that if you like. Uh, it is incredibly efficient uh, from a uh, green perspective and an energy perspective. And the great comparison that we use is roughly speaking, obviously, Ethereum runs, it takes the energy of the country of Singapore uh, every year whereas Algorand takes the equivalent of maybe 10 homes in Pittsburgh. I mean, that's the magnitude that you're looking at difference. You could run an entire uh, node on a Raspberry Pi, and a Raspberry Pi is infinitely weaker, dumber, and less sophisticated than your smartphone, infinitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that's to give you an idea of what we're talking about here. The next thing you asked about was uh, governance. And again, this is one where I... I, I rather defer to having people go and look at um, the foundation website and get the answers there. But you are right that there was a governance shift and note that one of the things that uh, Algorand has prided itself on is this whole concept of validators being, everyone who's in the system has the right to be a validator. So even in a proof of stake environment, there's typically two things that People think of delegated or bonded proof of stakes, where either somebody has been chosen and delegated to be um, the validators, or bonded, meaning you've had to put up a certain amount of money to guarantee that you are a validator. Each of those are very attackable, and each of those centralizes the decision-making, and it gets more and more centralized as your network grows, because th those who are either delegated or bonded become a smaller part of the overall Pi. However, in a pure proof of stake scenario, like the one that uh, Silvio and team uh, designed and where the secret sauce comes in through something called cryptographic sortition, is that it's through a random uh, selection process that validators are chosen, but everybody who's a user has the ability to be a validator unless they opt not to be. And so the if this is the entire Pi, a much greater percentage, instead of being this amount of people, it's this amount of people are have the potential to be validators. And that just continues to grow as the entire user base grows. For governance, what we've now done is said to everyone who owns even one algo, they have the ability and the right to be a, a governor uh, in the system. And if they they so choose to be, there are some requirements around that, which has to do with um, effectively locking your, uh, your holdings for a period of time. And in return for doing that, you get uh, uh, rewards, which is what you were referring to. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will, and so right now, if you're any algo holder gets rewards, as time goes forward, only governors will get those rewards.
Yeah. Yeah. And just so uh, other people understand, like I'm holding some algo and it literally pays me every single day. It's I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and it's fascinating to, uh, to see that interest accrue. Um, yeah. So it's really cool. Uh, I'm curious your, your vision and your perspective in your head, like what does this world look like in, in five to 10 years with, with all these changes? Um, what, what really excites you about this space and the possibilities of, of what's going to be, you know, coming up next? Yeah. I, I, Oh, by the way, we didn't even touch on, on DeFi before, but obviously that sort of leads into what your question to some degree and DeFi for, for the uninformed stands for decentralized finance, which ties into the whole concept of blockchain, which is to take out of the equation. You just have one end and the other end. You want to go from A to B as quick as possible and not stop in between at 400 different intermediaries and middlemen or middle mm -hmm. women as the case may, may be. And I think what you'll see as uh, blockchain becomes more and more accepted and used uh, that those that degree of decentralization becomes a way of the world. And in order for that to happen, interestingly enough, some people have always said it's it's anathema to or athema to talk about um, regulation in a decentralized world. Uh, you know, that's, you know, nobody in blockchain wants to talk about regulation. Reality is you better talk about regulation. You're not going to escape it. It's going to happen. It is happening. And in fact, I'll argue that it's actually very healthy for it because it legitimizes uh, what's happening. And it also does put up parameters. Now, those parameters won't be the same that they, they are when they're first set up to where they'll be a, a week later, a year later, two years later. But when you don't have any rails by which to guide yourself, you have a very hard time driving down the road at all. We used to say back in you know the old Wall Street days, the worst position to be in was when things were in the gray. Yeah. And the reason was because when they're in the gray, we just don't know what we really can do and what we can't do. And so you err on the side of doing nothing or taking the most conservative possible view uh, that you can so that you don't take any chance of running afoul of anything. Once there's rails put up, you then at least know what you can and can't do. Now, it may be those rails put you in a position where what you want to do, you can't do. But you'll be creative and you'll figure out a way at that point to operate within the rails that are there that's when things really start to take off. And so that's why I say, I think you'll see tons more regulation coming down the pike here in the shorter term than the longer term. And as that happens, then the adoption of blockchain that we're already seeing will really take off. You know, people always like to use the baseball analogy. What inning are we in? I would argue we're not even in an inning. We're sort of like, you know, maybe we got one out, one man on, and we're pitching to the third batter up right now. I mean, that's how early it is in, in the days of, of blockchain at this point. What about this? This might, you might like this. I don't know. But uh, the analogy is like, we're still designing like how we're going to play the game. You know, like I know that the, the blockchain, this is already established, like it's been built out, but like, there's like, you know, it's hard to understand what it's going to look like with everything that you're saying. So, we don't even, how can we be in a game if we don't even understand the, the full rules of, of what we're doing in some aspects? Yeah, no, there, there's a fairness to that statement. Again, that's the whole idea. Like until you know what those the rules are, it's difficult to know whether or not you're allowed to have three outs in an inning. Like, so if we, if we already right. have two outs, are we, you know, two thirds of the way through the first inning? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. Only, only if you tell me that there's three outs in an inning. So exactly. It's, it's a very good and, and fair point. You know, the other analogy that's often used is if you think back to the early days of the internet, right? Um, think about, I mean, we're we're nowhere even near like by the where where it was by the time, uh, you know, the internet became part of everybody's, you know, normal daily activity like we have long there's a long way to go which is says a lot for what the pot possibilities and potential is for blockchain my own personal view is and i say it all the time i think everything will be on the blockchain by hook or by crook one way or the other i really do honestly believe that i believe that algorand will be one of the blockchains that's there in the long run uh, I hope I'm not wrong i do also believe that you know right now you could name 1600 2000 different protocols they're not all going to be there there's room for, for more than one for sure, but there's not gonna be 2000 of them, nor will one chain do everything for everyone. Uh, but I do believe it will ultimately be, I don't know, five or 10 real chains that that uh, survive and, and move on uh, as things come into, into focus and utilization. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about this one. Like, Algorand, you know, you guys are, you guys are making money to, to work there and there's employees and stuff like this. How do, the, does the business make money from other companies that are using the blockchain? Um, I saw something about a pretty large uh, company in Italy, olive oil, a uh, company that's using Algorand. Is, is that how people, is that how the company makes money is from people using the blockchain, which then pays the employees and staff and stuff like that? Or, or how does it operate? Yeah, that, that's a question that we, we try not to be too, we don't try to be secretive about it, but by the same token, you know, we don't discuss all the, the metrics around Algorand, but Algorand does a lot of different things. Uh, it's a open, permissionless uh, public chain, so we're not a SaaS model, so when people use the chain, uh, unless we are doing something specific for them, like we run the chain for the Algorand Foundation. And because of that, we are compensated by the foundation accordingly. Um, we're not running a SaaS model. So we do have certain relationships where there's where, where that revenue can be generated from. We also, it's no secret, we own at the Inc. a lot of algos, um, which are nerd to the benefit of the uh, company and to the employees, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, without getting too deep into it, you can sort of put the rest of the the pieces together and you know we're investing in the ecosystem in and around Algorand as well and you know those companies uh very much uh are revenue generating uh entities in and of themselves cool yeah that makes a lot of sense all right um anything else you you'd like to touch on or you think would be important for listeners to know about Algorand or what you guys got going on well you know even stepping away from Algorand I'm I'll just tell you because I know this uh, podcast comes out of the hearts of uh, a real estate background that if there's an industry that's, you know, perhaps tailor-made for uh, blockchain, it, it's the real estate industry and, and in so many different ways. Um, let's just start with, yeah, it's one thing if you live in, you know, urban New York or urban U.S. to, uh, you know, have full transparency about what's going on to, you know, and even question that, right? But you go in other places around the world, let alone in certain spots around the US, transparency about what's going on in the real estate world is at best case questionable. And that, that's up and down the stack, if you will. Well, blockchain brings a lot of truth to the system, which is yeah. hugely important. 
Secondly is, yep, through the MLS system, there's all sorts of, uh, again, US-based great ways to uh, track listing and so forth. But that doesn't exist in most places around the world. And yeah. so blockchain immediately can bring that to uh, the system. The thing that's really cool and interesting is what blockchain has already started to do with the uh, ability to give access and uh, to investors and to sellers too, I suppose you could think of it that way, uh, into assets that they really want to be exposed to, but they haven't been able to be exposed to before. Yes, you theoretically could be buying into different funds that are effectively fractionalizing real estate holdings, but that's pretty hard to do actually, unless you're sort of a big institutional guy or right. um, certain type of large retail high net worth individual. But we're seeing it now. And, you know, again, I've, I've spoken about this at some other conferences that I think you've been part of, Matt. You know, there's entities like a lofty AI that is fractionalizing single home ownership, uh, selling out uh, tokens of, of home ownership for $50 a, a token. That kind of innovative thinking is just bringing the ability to be exposed to real estate in all different places around the country um, that before was just completely unattainable. Yeah. And that is super interesting and you know super valuable for the whole industry. Then take it to the next stop. Uh, what makes you know uh, the retail real estate industry, if not the commercial, uh, really hum? It's the ability to uh, finance those properties. What allows you to finance that, those properties? People willing to put up money you know, against that. Well, what's that mean? Creating mortgages. And then how, where does all that money come from? Well, it really comes from, you know, packaging those mortgages and then selling them off in either CMBS or RMBS or some other, you know, form of package structured product. True, 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 true. But once again, that's all ultimately left by and large in the hands of the big institutional investor. Totally fine. However, it's really not very, it's very efficient for what we know, but it's really inefficient for what we, yeah. what it could be. And as I was talking about the digital assets earlier in the conversation here, that's exactly what blockchain is about to explode on the marketplace um, with taking these types of traditional assets, tokenizing them, and then making them more available to a whole new class of investors in a, in a different means. And also to potentially create, and this is where the DeFi aspect comes in, a different way of financing those assets through, you know, different borrow lending schemes uh, and so forth. So it's pretty interesting and pretty exciting, you know, when you look at all aspects of the real estate. And I, and I said this at a recent conference, you know, if you think about land, land is the purest digital asset that we know. It's got longitudinal, latitudinal lines. Those are numerical. <laughs> Oh. Right. Those are digits. Right. There's no question about it. This this piece of where I am right now is a number. It's perfectly suited for uh, being in a system that that operates digitally. Take that. Now, just keep putting a house on top of it and everything else attached to it. And you've got the real estate business. Yeah. So from the from the ground up, it makes sense that blockchain should fit very well within the real estate universe. Well, uh, considering we're on the real estate podcast, I'm glad you said all that. Um, and that's kind of where my mind is in a lot of ways trying to stay ahead of it because we've got a real estate brokerage here in Austin with 110 or so real estate agents. We're buying properties and I'm constantly thinking, how do we implement this into what we're doing? Yep. Um, knowing that it is, or believing, I say knowing, but 
I feel like we know it, that it is the way of the future. Uh, it's more efficient. It's quicker, all these kind of things. And like you said, it's a lot of people don't understand that there is a big difference between blockchain and cryptocurrency. Uh, there's actual use to this. You can track ownership and, and you don't have to go through a title company one day, possibly, because it's all literally just put on this ledger. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. I could sell a property on the weekend by just going between me and you. Literally just 100%. transfer you the algo, give me your house, and why do we got to deal with all these other middlemen? So uh, it seems very obvious that it's the way of the future. I'm super excited about it and uh, really appreciate you sharing all this stuff and you know, love to, to talk about anything else if you want to, uh, but also love to you know have you on in the future and just excited to see like what's going to happen with Algorand and, and crypto in general. Yeah, look, we're I'm excited about it. It interests me. I think it's fun, you know, all the stuff that's going on with NFTs and 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 that kind of stuff. But that's cool and that's fun and that and that's you know kind of hip and all. Um, and it's exciting. The thing that gets me juiced up isn't about you know um, a Beeple's painting per se. Nothing against Beeple's. I mean that's cool, but it's it's about the idea that what's happening there is going to happen across the financial landscape and uh it's we're getting to be part of i'm going to live in a time when the entire way that commerce takes place is going to change and it's actually going to happen within my lifetime i think uh assuming that it doesn't take 40 years <laughs> it should still be around <laughs> uh and so that's kind of cool and that's really neat so yeah man I'm, I'm always at your disposal and if you know if anybody who listens into the podcast ultimately uh wants to have further conversation they can be in touch with me through you or barry at algorand.com uh always happen to take a call barry you're the man i uh, really appreciate your time and i hope you have a great day thank you guys for listening to the real estate podcast where we talk real estate crypto cannabis blockchain whatever it may be uh thank you guys have a great day barry thanks again man great i got you Matt.